Welcome to our podcast series. We hope you enjoy and are blessed by the stories, wisdom, and inspiration of the Medical Mission Sisters. Thank you for listening. 36, I wasn't there for that. And after that was a 70, it was 74, 76. I thought it was 73, because that hit us too. It could have been. And then there was another one. It was seven, 79, there was another one. We've had a number of them. Yeah, 73 sounds right. Yeah, because I was in high school huh? and it, it came through. My parents owned a, a grocery store mm -hmm. and it filled up the basement and mm -hmm. the creek flooded behind it. There's been a number of them though. Yeah. yeah. What is it about Johnstown loca location that makes it? It's kind of down in a hole and there are mountains around. And when the clouds come and the storms from the west, they come over and they just kind of sit over the mountains. They don't move. Okay. And so it rains, and it rains, and it rains, and it rains. That's what really caused the 1889 flood and that 73 flood, too. The rain, the clouds didn't leave. Hmm. It just poured more and more. And so where's the water go but downtown? And Johnstown's in a valley. So the rain water runs off the mountains and goes low. And so from the low, it starts coming up, and so you flood everything in the city. I had no idea that, that's so interesting. You need to get out more. I do. I just never thought about it, and I'm reading, I'm like, oh, well, Jonestown, like, you know, you go on these Wikipedia carousels where you're like, what? And it, one thing just takes you, you to another. You need to get in your car. I'll go with you. Will <laughs> <laughs> you show me the sights? Yeah. I didn't realize that it was like a 60-foot wall of water and had all this, like, barbed wire in it and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. Well, it's all the mills are down there, too. The wire mill, all the Bethlehem steel was there, and so oh, it was really? all flooded. And when the... In the 89 flood, when the rains came down through the mountain, it took trees, took everything, and debris. It's, the dam was up here from the people in Pittsburgh that built the dam. They didn't do a good job, and so the dam broke. So all that water goes down to the lower part. And then there's a mountain over here, so the water comes down, hit this mountain, and then the waters went this way, up and down, north and south. And so there was a bridge over here, and it caught all the debris and so there were pipes and wood and it started the fire so we had a big fire there too that's the 89 flood that was a big one yeah well i didn't yeah i didn't realize that it had like picked up so much debris and so like a lot of the people that died it was because they were getting nailed by all this stuff that the flood had picked up on its way in the 89 flood the trains were up in the mountain and the engineer heard that the dam had broken it was up higher and so he got in the train, he was going down trying to alert all the people that lived on the hillsides mm. that there was a problem, you know, to move, do something. A lot of them, they didn't understand, but he was on the horn on the train the whole way down. And I guess he was in the train, he died probably, and I don't know that. But they were trying to alert people to get out of the way of the flood water. There was a problem. They didn't know how bad it was going to be, but yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I <clears throat> I also read that um, Claire Barton and the American Red Cross came to like help mm -hmm. survivors, mm -hmm. but with there was only 50 of them, like 50 um, volunteers. Mm -hmm. that, that feels inadequate for the amount of people. Yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't know. I mean, it's I guess not. Big adventure. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there, 
when you were growing up, was there like old timers in Johnstown who remembered that flood? The 89? Yeah. No, not that I know of. No old timers? Yeah. Um, I read that like the oldest flood survivor died in the late 90s. He was like 108 years old or something like that. Wow. So I wasn't sure if growing up around Johnstown, people were like, remember the bad times. Well, some of them, the older ones, yes. Okay, yeah, I wasn't but, sure. Yeah. They were old timers. Mm -hmm. Was your family living there at that time? My grandfather was young, and he had come from Austria. And what I hear, he was over on this mountain side, and he had horse and buggy, I guess, but he went down the slope, and he helped somebody get off that was in the flood in the lower parts get up and up that mountainside to get out of the floodwaters. Wow. He, and he probably, he was born in 1866, yeah. And so he had just been in the States a short time because that flood was 89. He wasn't in the country very long. No. And so he was there to Kind of a somebody. hero. Yeah. That's Welcome cool. to America. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I promise I just won't ask you a million questions about okay. the Johnstown flood, Kenny. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, thank you so much for agreeing to be here with us. I was really looking forward to speaking with you today because I think of you as one of the more badass sisters in MMS, <laughs> if we're allowed to say that. Sure. Um, <laughs> I just think you've had a super interesting career and it's not that like typical MMS, you know, life. So, um, I mean, you've been a photographer, a printmaker, an artist, you've been a physical therapist, and then there's this aspect to your personality where you're just like willing to get in there and get your hands dirty. Um, we've, I've heard lots of really interesting stories about you uh -oh. from life <laughs> here on campus. Um, so anyway, I'm just excited to, to talk to you about it. Um, we wanted to bring you like a beer, a cocktail, so we could all hang out and relax, but no one would tell me what you drink. Water. I... Water? What is your alcohol of choice, Kenny? Oh, it's, it's all good. You know? <laughs> Don't tell me that. was. <laughs> Nobody would tell me if you were a beer drinker or you liked, I don't know, whiskey. I like sometimes if you have a mixed drink, but you can't drink all that. I drink that much. Okay. A beer here and there. You okay. know, sweet wine. I don't like all this dry stuff okay. that people love to drink. I, I'm not there. I like sweet wine. Like and, a Riesling? Yeah, something yeah. sweet. Yeah. Do you want a glass of water, by the way? Oh, that'd be fine. Okay. Okay. I'll be right back. Yeah. Sure. Are you recording this? Mm -hmm. Okay. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was asking around, you know, people who hang out with you, like, what does Kenny drink? And they're like, we don't know, we've never seen her drink. Well, we have, for dinner at nighttime, we might split something, you know, and I'm not a real big drinker, you know, you can drink stuff, and I, I don't, margaritas, whatever, if you're for dinner, but I don't just decide to have a drink here and there, no. Okay, well, yeah. next time we'll know if there's another conversation <laughs> what to bring. No, it's good. Um, who were you the closest with on campus? I think I've probably asked you that before. <laughs> it's a given. No, but so 
Are you close with your housemates? Well, you live with them, so sure. you're close with there, but you know, I lived in the Southwest, you know, for 30 years. So the people that I really knew were there. And these people are all kind of settled. So when you come, mm -hmm. you know, you move in and you live with whoever you live with. And you're close to people, but I don't hang around with just certain individuals all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Okay, where can I put that now? Can you I came in on the tail end, I'm sorry. Were you talking about community or, because that was one of the questions I was curious about, but I just... See how she made that sound so professional? Mm -hmm. Right away? <laughs> no, I was like, you got any friends on campus? <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't quite gotten there yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I hear it. I wouldn't have had the juicy conversation without you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I know I just sort of asked you a bunch of questions about Johnstown, but um, growing up, did you have any other siblings besides Annette? I have two brothers. Do you? Are they mm -hmm. older, younger? They're older. I'm the baby in the family. No, you're not. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have picked you for the baby. Yeah. That's why I got away with everything. <laughs> you know, they all left. My two brothers were in the service in the 50-51. They, Johnny went in the Marines, Sonny went in the Army, and Annette came to Philadelphia. And so I was home alone. I was still in grade school, I guess, beginning high school. And so, you know, there was empty nest there. So and my mother didn't know what to do with me. So, you know, I got away with everything. My sister would tell me that all the time. You know, you're spoiled. You did everything because we weren't there. Well, they all left. I didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> that is sort of, the, you know, the older sibling being like, right. I got in trouble for all of these things that you're getting away with. Well, there was nobody there. I started driving probably when I was 11 because my sister wanted to learn how to drive before she came to the Medical Mission Sisters. And I was always in the back seat watching everything. And then one day, at, we have a wholesale meat packing plant, so we have trucks and we have cars. And we had a station wagon, this truck partly. But one day, I was down there, and we all go down, we had cattle. And we go down and feed the cattle on weekends with my dad, you know. And I didn't, I, he worked there, but I didn't when I was young. But one Sunday morning, I guess, I got in the truck, ours, and I drove to the end of the lot, and I couldn't get it in reverse. And my dad came out, and he saw me. I couldn't get it in reverse, so he's hollering across the field to me what to do. He didn't holler at me for getting in the truck and driving it. <laughs> He was hollering what to do. He never told me, don't do that. Wow. And so my dad and I both got in trouble because he allowed me to drive home. I didn't have a license, but we'd drive home, you know, on Sunday mornings. We'd go down and feed the cattle after mass and then drive home before dinner. And he thought I should know how to drive because the boys were gone, my sister was gone. We had two cars at that time. If anything happened, he said, you should know what to do, so okay. Anyway, my mother was a nurse. She had friends up the boulevard who were nurses. So one Sunday morning, one of her friends saw us coming home. So here, I'm at the steering wheel. So she's talking to this friend, and the friend says to my mother, so your daughter started driving, she has her driver's license. My mother says, no. She said, 
And so after that, my dad and I were both in trouble. We were both grounded. <laughs> <laughs> but you were 11? Yeah, I started at 11. Oh my. How did you reach the pedals? I've always been the same size, you know. My brother, since seventh grade, my brothers and I were all the same size. I was. You were tall. Tall, yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. So now, did that start sort of a love affair with cars? Because I heard a rumor recently from one of our associates who was also. Um, at one point a medical mission sister, that you taught an auto mechanics course No, I, that's not so. Okay. I, I took an auto mechanics course here over one of the high schools. Where? Over here, some, not far away. Anyway, that was on the weekend or the nighttime. I would, it was a night course. But I was in charge of all the cars here in the property at one time. And we had the farm equipment, the trucks, and all the cars. So. I was in charge of them. And I used to have little meetings with all the sisters because they didn't do their share taking care of them. And the gas tanks would be empty and they needed servicing, but they wouldn't tell me. And you'd have a little accident here and there and you know, you'd find out about it or the car door didn't close because somebody backed up and the car got jammed in the curb or something. It, things happen. So I used to have little conversations, meetings with all the community about the cars and what should be done. Sister Ann Cummins, who was a lawyer here and in the community at one time, she would come and just, she was hysterical all the time with all the meetings. She just laughed at me. I guess it was funny. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> were, but, were you holding the meetings because you were frustrated with the sisters? Well, I'd said they needed to be doing more yeah. than, you know, letting me know what was wrong with the yeah. cars so yeah. that they were serviced properly and taken care of and cleaned, you know. Yeah. And not having me, just similar to what goes on today. Yeah. But you have to take care of these things. So but. the story that we had heard was from Betsy, and she said that you pulled her aside and said, if you're going to be in missions over in India or wherever, you need to know how to fix your tractor if it breaks down. <laughs> <laughs> I probably told her that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> But I knew things about the cars then. Yeah. 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 How did you get that job? Did they say, Kenny, you'll be in charge of the cars now, or did you volunteer? No, no, you were assigned. Those days, you were told what to do. You know, you're going to go to school here. You're going to go to medical school there, and yeah, you were assigned things. And I was here. There weren't a lot of sisters. Everybody went to the missions. There were a few of us that didn't go to the missions. We had office jobs here. So, Is that how you came to work the printing press? They told you, they assigned you that task? Well, actually, when we were first professed, that was 1961, the people that were in my group were sent to the missions or they went to school and I was here and I was assigned to the laundry. That was my job and I thought, okay, so I was there for a couple of weeks. I said, you know, I got to get out of this laundry. You know, I wanted to go to school, but I wasn't assigned to school. I was assigned to Philadelphia, which was fine. But anyway, one day, Sister Ellen Castellini was going over to the office. We had offices on the 8403 side of the road. We owned that property where housing development is today. It had an L-shaped building that once was the old novitiate 
and we lived in that old Yuri house over there too. But that building was converted into offices. And Ellen said, do you want to come with me? I'm going over just to see somebody. I said, sure. So I went over. And when we got to the L-shaped building, there was three, four steps that go up into what was the print shop. And so we went through the building and up to the office. But in the print shop, there was a 1250 multilith offset printing press. And there was also fonts for a press that you had small characters that you had to set up the printing with for anything that you did. And I think Sister Winifred was doing that at that time. But we did a lot of printing, a lot. And Sister Delellis, who had the post office, was also doing some of the printing, but she couldn't do a lot of it. And so we went through there, and there was a big old guillotine to cut papers, too. It was a big thing, big machine. And when I went through there and saw all this machinery, I said, I just said casually to Sister Ellen, boy, I'd love to come over here and work in here. I didn't know at the time that they were looking for somebody to go into the print shop. And so we go through the office. The next door was the post office. And then the plate department, which was like the PR, they had plates that they had all the addresses for mailings for you know, publicity purposes. And then on up was the writer's office and Sister Kevin's office. And then on the other part of the L-shaped building, Sisters were up there writing, you know, for the, we had the medical missionary that we printed at that time too. And then Margaret McKenna was the artist and that was at the end of the building. So all this was going on. It was a whole other activity over there. I thought, man, this is nice over here. So two weeks later, I was assigned to the print shop. Wow. I, yay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um, that's how that happened. And did they send you to school for it? I saw that you went to a multi-lifting program. I did. And Sister Delellis, she knew how to run the press, but she wasn't real expert doing it. And she did the post office, and that was a full-time job. So Sister Kevin, who was in charge of the office at that time, made arrangements for, for me. She looked into it and found there's a multi-lifting offset press school downtown Philadelphia. And it was nighttime. So she made arrangements for me to go, and she went with me. Oh. And so that was interesting, because when we got there, Sister Kevin, who was from Connecticut, I think, she took over the class. I mean, she talked about everything, and she talked to everybody. And I thought, you know, I'm supposed to be learning how to run this press here. And she was center stage for the whole class. <laughs> and no. it was fun, but anyway. I got to know the instructor pretty well. And he worked for a big company, print company, downtown Philadelphia. And um, I did learn a few things, even though other things happened in the class. But the, the advantage for me was when I left that, the next day I came to the office and I had the press there. So whatever I learned, I could try out on the mm -hmm. press. And these other, there weren't a lot of people in the class because they only had maybe four or five presses. But other people, they didn't have a press to go home to and run the next day, but I did. And so I, and I had the Lellis who knew something. So if I got in trouble, I'd ask her about it. But I had the thing to work with. And I never had problems mechanical-wise, you know, doing things. So I learned that. And uh, it, it worked. And yeah. 
So are you just sort of drawn to machinery? Like you're saying cars and the tractors, and now you <laughs> saw the machinery of the print shop, and you're like, yeah, I got this. Well, things like that, they grow on me, I guess. I've always been, I do things, you know. I, Did I read that you, before you um, entered the society, you had taken a carpentry program too? <laughs> I did. Tell me about that. Was that after high school or during high school? No, it was probably after high school. Uh, my brother was home from the service, and I applied to the Medical Mission Sisters, but I couldn't enter right away because my sister was here. And I, from out of high school, I thought I would come to the Medical Mission Sisters, but uh, because my sister was here, I think, and from what I, what I understand, Mother Dangle said, I had to wait until she left the country, and she was due to go to Africa. And I guess maybe they, Philadelphia couldn't handle two Freelix at the same time. <laughs> I don't know. Man, was Annette raising hell or something over here? No. <laughs> so I had to wait until she left, and then the next year. But um, what am I telling you? About the, the carpentry. carpentry, yeah. That year that I was home. There was things to do, and so I was interested in this carpentry class, and I told my brother, I said, I'd like to go. He said, I'd like to go too, so we both signed up. Oh, how nice. And he made big tables for his living room. He had just married. So this was the 1950s, right, Kenny? 58, 57, it was 57, Okay. 58, yeah. So did anybody tell you, like, oh, girls don't do carpentry programs? You know, or did your family say, like, what are you doing? No. Get in the kitchen. No, no one said anything like that? You know, my father never s said no to any of us. And when my sister left, we had furniture in the house, and I, it was good. And I wanted to refinish it because there were lots of coats of paint. So when she was gone, I went to the basement, and I refinished the bedroom, the, the dressers and the beds. And I took all the paint off and sanded them down and stained them. And my father never said, he never said no. He'd always help me, tell me what to do or something. But he, he didn't help me. But he never said, you know, don't do that. And hmm. I, I went with my dad because he knew what to do. And, do you think that that, like his voice in your head, did that sort of follow you throughout your life? Like, you know, if you were ever called to do something or sort of pulled to do something, you're like, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to go for it. Well, sometimes you don't think about it. You just there. You do it. That's all. I, I don't go through all those processes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you see something that needs to be done. You do it. <laughs> well, you figure out and you make plans. And I'm always yeah. looking at things. During this pandemic, we've had almost two years here. You know what to do. A couple times, you, if I could get out, I went to Home Depot or Lowe's and just walk up and down the aisles looking at machinery and tools and stuff. I didn't buy anything, but I feel at home there, yeah. you know. <laughs> That's crazy. So I heard, you know, we're always trying to hire a groundskeeper, and I heard that you were like, wait, just give me a chainsaw and I'll take care of all this for you. Well, nice, <laughs> can I still, if you help me to get the chainsaw, there's some woods out there, I could be doing stuff, yes. <laughs> How much trouble would we, would we get into if we brought you a chainsaw? <laughs> well, I don't know. You don't have to have the biggest chainsaw in the world, you know? I they come in different one. sizes. <laughs> I can get you one. Yeah, I'd use it. 
<laughs> mm. Hook a sister up, literally. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. man. <sighs> One of the things that Jenna and I noted when we were just talking a little bit about today's interview is um, how drawn you are to working with your hands. And, I mean, you just talked about that. And even your physical therapy training and work is, is hands. It's so similar in terms of how do things work and where do things need to go. And, uh, well, for me, some of those things are just natural. I don't think about them. Yeah. And I always wanted to go to physical therapy school from high school, and I never got there. Huh. I couldn't come to the medical mission sisters that right after high school, and I was going to start the college, but my mother got sick, so I couldn't go to school. And the dean gave me a, a month to get back in school, and I couldn't get there, so mm -hmm. that was out. And then the following year, I entered medical missions. But I always wanted to be a therapist, and that didn't happen. So you go do other things. And then in 1970, something like that, after working here, it was uh, Dorothy Ann Klein, who was in the administration upstairs here. She said, you need to go back to school. So I started Temple. And I went three years to Temple. And during that time, and this is, well, during that time, I went, tried to get into PT school. But there were 300 applications for about 30 places. And of course, I'm not going to get there. I was out of school for how many years, too? I had all this stuff to, to catch up on. And so I figured, OK. So I saw the School for Occupational Therapy. So I applied to the School of Occupational Therapy. And the dean came and said, you can apply to both schools at the same time. So OK. So I was downtown one day. And across from Hahnemann Hospital, there was a school of uh, Antonelli School of Professional Photography. And I went in there. And I saw, man, look at all these cameras, all this stuff. All and this machinery. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, the medical mission sisters could use a good photographer to go around and update the files and do things. So I came here, and I, I talked to a few people in the office. Do you need a photographer? And I wrote up a proposal to go to school to study photography, and it got passed. So I ended up. In a couple months, I was in the School of Photography, wow. Antonelli School, for two years. And there was just a month off during both of those years. It was kind of straight through. And all those courses were good in color photography and portraits and tabletops setting up and architecture and all kind of things. And you just learned it. And wow. it, it was a great, great course to do. Then after that, well, in between there, that's when Monica McGinley and I were assigned to go around the world in 90 days to update the files here. Mm. And that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> when you say interesting, tell us more. Well, Monica and I, both of us, were never out of the States and hardly on the airplane, you know. And so we were sent on. The people that set up our trip couldn't even find airports to get into the nearest places where we had missions, wow. you know, in Africa and India and God knows where. And so that was part, even the planning of it was good. Um, then we went, we got packed up. I had three cameras and two and a quarter and 35 millimeter. And I could have done with just one of them, but we didn't know what we were gonna be up against either. 
And um, so we started off, we didn't, we, we changed money, we changed food, we changed time, we changed climates. We had all these different countries that we went to. It was, and this, I'll tell you, this booklet here is Monica McGinley's uh, diary that she kept. And she gave this to me for my 60th anniversary. She wrote notes up after all these years. Wow. She just wrote, it was her little journal of our trip. And I've read through this and I've forgotten some of the people's names because you don't remember all that and even some of the things that we did. But what she didn't put in here, I remember other stories that could go in here to accompany that. But it was a good trip, really. We had a good time. And it was in honor of the 50th anniversary of the society? Yes. We went to Rome first okay. in 74 to get pictures for the 75th anniversary. Oh, 70th, yeah. okay. Well, it wasn't the 70th, it was 50th, but it was 1975. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. There had been talk about the dream of doing that again for the centenary, mm -hmm. but um, I know that there's concerns about, it's just, it just seems like it would be much more difficult in terms of visas and the pandemic and cost that the time that you took that trip was the time to do it, because I don't know that it's really feasible yeah. now, mm -hmm. 50 years later. You yeah. want to try, Kenny? We'd no, send I couldn't you back do out. it. I can't do it now. No. Really? I feel like I don't believe you, <laughs> just looking at well, her. Well, it's just, I, first of all, I don't do photography now because my eyesight isn't as sharp as it was then. I had good vision. And that room right across the hallway where you do all the shredding was a dark room. I had a dark room in there. Hmm. I had two printers and I had a sink. I developed film. I printed. I did all that. And it's not a room that's whatever you call that room. That was like my little studio. I had set up to take portraits of people, which I did. I took pictures of all these sisters in the community that were available. And uh, yeah. I had a nice boom light. I wish I still had that because that was great. Hmm. You know, we did a lot, but. Um, do you consider yourself a portraitist as you're like, you know, I no. can't say that. Okay. I had read somewhere like, Kenny, the portraitist. <laughs> it's like, oh, interesting. Well, I like to take portraits, and I did. And even now, when people are taking portraits, I see what they do. I say, don't do that. <laughs> do it this way. But, you know, I can't step in there. I, I know, and I know how to set up people, and I, yeah. I just like, I like portraits. I like to do tabletops, commercial photography. If, for people who set up scenes to advertise uh, perfumes, you know, to arrange it so that you advertise your six bottles of perfume and how to have them come out. I, li I did that. I, I like to do that. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I could still do that, but my eyesight isn't as sharp. And to do a dark room again, I couldn't. But, you know, you learn all those things, how to print pictures and how to get light, dark, light, light, areas that you need to be darker, how to expose them a little bit longer, how to keep dark areas that if you expose them, they would be really black, how to fade that out so that they're not, you just, no, wow. I don't know, you just feel that. I, well, you were gifted at it. I like to do it too. Yeah. The other thing, people do jobs they don't like. I, I can't say I didn't like any job, I like to do things. Yeah. 
Do you ever wish that uh, you had gotten sent to the missions? Well, I applied, but it didn't work. Even when I was interviewed by Mayor Louise before, I didn't know I was being interviewed, and she asked me three times, you know, why did I want to join the Medical Mission Sisters? And I told her, I want to drive a Jeep in Africa. And she asked me three different times. I didn't know she was interviewing me. I, just, I came to visit my sister, you know, and she happened to come in. So. You're like, a Jeep in Africa, I told you. <laughs> Machines. <laughs> What's not clear about that? Oh, man. So, I, so Annette came here how many years before you... She's six years older than I am. She okay. entered in 1951. I came in 1958. Okay. Um, and did she, like, she was home and she was talking about coming here, and were you like, oh, I want to do that too? No. Or I, you were like... No, I, I never said that. We came to visit her. That's how I found out about the medical mission sisters. And now that you're bringing out this machinery business, which I don't really notice, when I would come here, it was always Sister Boniface driving the tractor around the property, and that's where I would have gone. I would have gone to the farm, you know, getting the tractor. That's what you were pulled towards. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But I came and I saw, and it was always a joy to come to the Medical Mission Sisters. We had a good time here, mm -hmm. you know. I Everybody hard, was happy, so. I have a hard time imagining you with like the whole obedience thing, Kenny, you know? Like, obviously they tell you what you're gonna do and then you have to do it. I just can't picture you being like, okay. Well, I've lost a lot of windows in the refectory over there. <laughs> <laughs> One of our favorite questions is to ask sisters, like, what were your, pun like, how did you get in trouble? What were your punishments and what did you do? Oh, I, do you have I, any I can't ones? tell you all those things. <laughs> <laughs> but you washed a lot of windows. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, we did some good things, yeah. Um, Pat Edelin was telling us about cleaning out gutters and throwing the slop like right on a sister's head, you know, sort of compounding her infraction. Well, no, that, we didn't do that. I didn't do those things. We sometimes would be out a little bit later than what we were supposed to mm -hmm. be and come up the fire escape. We lived in the attic of Maine Old over there. And so the fire escape was on the floor and come up the back and up into the attic. So sometimes we used that entrance to get back into the house and crawl over somebody's bed, you know. Sneak in and out. <laughs> that didn't happen all the time, but you know. But what's there to do around here? Like if you're gonna stay out late and get into trouble, what was there to do? Was there like a good place to hang out or you just didn't wanna be? Well, today I, I wouldn't go out. It, you can't see after dark, so you can't drive after dark. And it's just, it isn't the same incentive now. You You're know. being coy. You're not going to give up the good stuff. I can tell from your face. <laughs> no. oh, Kenny's going to take her secrets with her. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, well, you did, even if you weren't assigned to the missions, you did have this incredibly significant experience in your life working with the American or the International Red Cross in Thailand, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you went in 1979 right. to work with refugees in Thailand mm -hmm. and you stayed for six years. It was about that. Well, it was 79 when we all went out. 
and that was when the Pol Pot was killing all the Cambodians and they fled into Thailand, and there was a note went downstairs on the bulletin board for volunteers, and I was, had been up here in this dark room for a year after our trip around the world developing pictures that anybody could have been developing, and I thought that maybe I should have been out doing more photography work, and that note went up on the board, and I went and signed that immediately. I thought, <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> I'm going. And then I didn't know if I could go. You know, they were looking for medical people. I wasn't medically trained. And then a few people, others signed up. Miriam Trees Winter put her name up there, too. She's not medically trained, so there's two of us. So 10 of us initially got to go. Miriam Trees and myself, not medical, and Mary Kirchhoff, and oh, who? Others. So we left, and um, it was a short time. We were back in the end of January. We went before December, December, January, February, before October, November, and maybe December the 8th. I forget, actually. But we, we were out about two months, and then that's short term. That's all we were allowed to be there. And then when we came home, I uh, asked if I could go back because we were all working in the TB ward with Dr. Garcia, who was in charge, the doctor in charge of that ward and the refugee camp. And we all worked there, except Dara. Dara worked with uh, CRS, I think, as a lab tech. And uh, I think she's the only one that was not with us. Why she stayed with us, but she worked in another camp. Uh, Why did you want to go back? Because it was a need, you know. All, all those people, there was all, there were so many volunteers from around the world, and the community was great with people from, oh, Italy and uh, Australia and New Zealand and England and uh, the Jewish community, Israel. They, people short term coming out to volunteer their time to take people, they needed help, you know. Landmines, uh, people losing their legs and their arms and because of landmines. There was just a great need, and there was a chance to stay and do that, and it, it was good. And they were able to use you even though you didn't have the medical training? There was a lot to do. Supplies, going to town for supplies, you know, driving people. Uh, doctor needed a driver, so they, Thai people drive, were drivers too. and. Nurse, there were just there were things to do, so I got to go. And you were like, doctor, I've been driving since I was eleven. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what made you eventually come back? Well, it was time to come home. Yeah. And I read that you, when you came home, you transferred to the Western District. Mm -hmm. Who could blame you? Well, my sister was out there, and she said, "Why don't you move out here with me?" And so I asked, and they said, okay. So I moved to New Mexico. And then we eventually got a bigger house. And then during that year, Sister Agnes Paniculum and uh, Mara Robinson were here, and they were looking for a new assignment, too. And I said to them, why don't you come out and look over the Southwest? So they were, went to California, and they came to our place, too. And they decided to move out, so they moved in with us, so we got a bigger house to live in. And they were there a couple years with us. 
and you love the American Southwest. Yeah. That was your jam. Yeah. Um, what is it that you liked about it so much? It's the wide open spaces. <laughs> Very different no, than Johnstown. Oh yeah, well, it's beautiful country. There's things to do. And then I went back to school, so uh, yeah. And they, there was no problem with you being your, with your sister at this point, even though years before they wouldn't have wanted you together. No, she had finished her tour in Africa and she was working where in Virginia for a while too, and then she moved out that way. And uh, Sister Benedict Young had an office in Las Cruces also at one point, and they were about the same time, I think. And uh, yeah, we had sisters because we had sisters in Tucson and Arizona and California, and we had others living in the Southwest, well, in the West too. We had not the same setup as we have today, but we didn't have circles. We had the Western District was out oh. there, so people belonged to the Western District. We had people in Mexico living that belonged to the Western District. Mm -hmm. And when we met, we went to California for meetings, mm. you know. I can tell even from the records that it was much more laid back in the Western District. Everybody's, yeah, <laughs> a lot more chill. I was like, this is the one I would want to be a member of. Um, but so when you were in New Mexico, you had a chance to become a physical therapist, right? Well, I, I, I didn't know it. I wanted to see if I could go back to school. And so I went, I moved to El Paso eventually to start community college. Then they started the school of uh, uh, physical therapy, assistant program, community college. And I applied and they hadn't started it yet. And when they did start it, it was full, and um, I needed to get some college credits, so I went to community college to get credits. The first class started, and there were only 12 people, and nobody dropped out, and I was the second alternate mm -hmm. if somebody dropped out, and nobody did, so I had to wait another year, but I finished all the prerequisites, and I had to volunteer in the hospital, so I went to work, too. worked in, in the hospital down in El Paso, and got my volunteer, and then the physical therapist there thought she was abusing me, so she put me on the payroll. Nice. <laughs> I even got a turkey for Christmas. Jeez. <laughs> you came with a good work ethic, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So when you look back, and you know, all of your, you have many acts to your careers. You're a printmaker, you're a photographer, you're a physical therapist. Is there, you know, you're working with refugees. Is there one career path over another that you felt like, I love this the most, or this is the most me? Or are they were, were they all aspects of your personality? All of them work. You know, when you're in the situation, you make it work. You can't say, I'd rather be doing something else, but I have to do this now. I never felt that way. When you're in something, you do it. You're there, and that's what you do. And when I was even in Thailand, there was a need to make prosthesis for people because they had their legs blown off or something, or arms in Cambodia, and they come in, and they had no access to get a new leg or an arm or something like that. And there was a group that 
I don't know if they were priests or not, but there was a group in the Cameroons who had a school to make prosthesis for people. I considered that at one time. I thought I could go mm -hmm. to Cameroons and go back to Thailand because you had to use materials that you had on hand, you know, wood or trees or bark or whatever. And they had to be able to make their legs renew them again because they didn't have access to the stuff we have in the States here, you know. And I thought I could do that, but I didn't. Uh, Is there anything that you came across where you were like, nah, <laughs> I couldn't do that? <laughs> well, it didn't work out, you know. I, I thought maybe it wouldn't be feasible, and so I didn't pursue it. Yeah. Um, I'm getting the impression that you're just like challenge accepted for anything that sort of comes your way. You can't say no. I mean, you, if something comes, you have to look and see if it's really possible for you to do. If there's a need to do it, why not try it? As a millennial, you're sort of speaking another language, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fit to go downtown and give up a car and live in a high rise and go to job to a job every day, you know, inside. That's not me. Well, you're kind of a cowboy now that we're having this conversation about <laughs> wide open spaces. I will always picture Kenny the cowboy now. Hank Williams. Yes, um, Tina found a quote from you, and we were like, wow, that's so profound. And then she Googled it, and she's like, it's a Hank Williams song. What is that? The quote is, the sun comes up and the sun goes down. <laughs> Hands on the clock keep going around. Yeah. Well, I was telling Jen, I found this in your, and then as I was writing it out, I'm like, this sounds like a song. And so we looked it up and then listened Is that to from it. Hank Williams? Yes. Sun comes up and the sun goes down. Hands on the clock keeps going around. I just get up and it's time to lay down. Life gets tedious, don't it? <laughs> My it. shoes untied, I don't care. I ain't go figuring I'm going nowhere. I'd have to wash and comb my hair and that's just waste of effort. Hands on the clock keep going around. And it goes on. I have that written someplace. <laughs> well, you wrote that you were writing. I don't know to whom. Maybe PR. But you wrote. You were writing to them what was going on for you, and then you wrote that. Isn't that, that funny? Lyric. Oh man, that's so good. That's great. So, <laughs> tell me about your sister being sisters, capital S, with your actual sister. Mm -hmm. Did you, were you guys close growing up or no, not with the age difference? We had our differences. I can't say, we were close, but we weren't close. We were always kind of, mm -hmm. she Bloody was cats. her independent self and so was I. And you know, she always felt that I got away with everything. Well, I probably did, you know, I. That's <laughs> the way it kind of goes, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. My brother and I used to talk about her all the time, you know, and he'd say, she, she was different than you, and she mm -hmm. was, we were different, but. But she asked yeah. you to live with her. She did, and, mm -hmm. and that was okay. I mean, yeah. we did all right that way. Yeah. But I was not uh, aspiring to be a nurse. My mother was a nurse, mm -hmm. and, but I didn't want to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. And she did things, she was a perfectionist in another way. She sewed. She was a seamstress, and mm. she learned that early on. She made quilts, and I, I don't care about making quilts at all. I'd help her, but I don't, I don't want to do that, and I don't want to sew. I don't want to do the sewing machine either. And 
she had her own ways and things that she did that I didn't do, but yeah. You had different, obviously you had different jobs, right? Because I imagine that's a lot. If you live with your sister and you're in the same organization, you'd have to be like, I'm going to work now. Yeah, what did she do while you were doing physical therapy? Well, she was a nurse too, and at one point, well, at one point, she, she did nursing, and she did home health, and she worked for the uh, nursing is what, I can't tell you that right now, in Las Cruces. Um, but she was there, and then she also taught school, filled in as a substitute teacher for a while. Okay. after nursing. And then she went back to school and studied oh, the environment. And she has two degrees from New Mexico State University. And then she was a volunteer at the Bureau of Land Management. She did that. She was always doing stuff. She was outside and with nature. And she felt she did nursing enough and she wanted to do something else. And so she did. And she was successful. And she was good at it. Hmm. And outside, too, she was volunteering with um, oh, what? Not the nature, but oh, can't think of it. With people that grow plants and outdoor things, what were they? I can't tell you right now. But she, at the university, master gardeners had oh, an yeah, office. Yeah. And they needed people to answer the telephone with people who had problems about it. And she did that. She was there all the time. She had the answers. She knew what to do. That was her line, you know, outside in nature. Mm -hmm. And she did that. I did something else. Mm -hmm. and, and now you're gardening. Well, I, well, and I'm talking to her all the time. She's probably telling me, you're not doing that right. I hear that. You know, don't do it that way. I told you, don't do that. You know, I, I can hear it. Yeah. Big sister. <laughs> well, you know, since no one will give you a chainsaw, um, I, I know that you've been spending a lot of your time around here on gardening, beautifying the campus. Um, what made you sort of turn to that as a hobby? Well. Jane Coyle had the garden when I moved into house six, and she had roses out there. And then it came to the point she couldn't do it, and then she moved out. And I kind of inherited, I helped her. But then I was outside all the time weeding and pulling up all the weeds from the garden, spending the summer with weeds. I said, I'm not doing this. I figured out how to get around that. I put the, the paper down on the, the plants to breathe, keep weeds from coming through and then the mulch on top of it. And then the roses, I don't do roses. They don't work for me. So, And there's a bug, a worm in there that keeps eating all the leaves and taking the nutrition from the rose. So I gave up the roses. They're on their own now. They're there, but I <laughs> sent them off. And I just put in other things. And you know, we had the garden. I redid it and keep the deer out. But why not make it, you need some beautiful things to look at. So why not do it? Put it in. Some things I experiment with, see if they'll grow and what. I put in four little plants. I thought they'd be nice for trim. And they went to be humongous things. And I didn't expect that. But, you know. <laughs> but. I 
kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see what happens. And I've been so. that, done that right now. I've had bulbs that I put in recently to see what happens in the spring. So we'll see how That's it goes. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Are you up to any other like secret things right now, Kenny? No. I'm I, just gardening. <laughs> Why do I feel like this is look, look on her face? It's a front. <laughs> What's Kenny really up to? She's sneaking in the she, top window. She's in the dark. barn working on the tractors. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I would if I could get in there. I'd get one off my there, but. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you were like, I could drive anything. Give me a lawnmower. Well, we did. I, I did drive the tractor. But not here, but before that. Yeah. Are you one of the drivers for the sisters? Right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought I remembered you saying yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Well, there aren't that many drivers. Yeah. But I don't drive at nighttime. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Yeah. 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 Think of any more questions for Kenny? Well, I wrote down a couple questions. Um, you know, there's a lot of, and if you don't want to answer this, that's fine. Um, but there's been a lot of talk in the last little while about what, where is MMS headed here in UNA? Um, I was just curious, kind of what you think about that, or what your feelings are about where we are as a society. Well, that's all coming to a head, you know, now, and I don't think any of us know that. Yeah. You know, you have to just do your part and be there and roll with the punches because I don't think any of us know. Even with the property, that's not going anywhere in a hurry. Yeah. So we have to just stay here and, and keep things going as best we can. And do what? do what is in front of you to do. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing I was curious about is, you know, in your great wisdom and experience, <laughs> um, there aren't young sisters coming into UNA, but there are young sisters coming in in India and Africa, and if you would, what kind of words of wisdom you would share to a young woman joining the society now? Well, I think there they're doing a good job, really. And we need young sisters in the yeah. community. We, and if they come in from Africa, great, good for them. And to be open, you know, there's a lot of challenges. Today's world is much different than the world when I came into the community way back when. It's different. The times are changing, the world is changing. So the challenges are tremendous. Yeah. I don't know if I could do some of these things today. And even with the technology, you know, putting all the plugs in, I, if I were younger, probably I would do better with the technology today, like going to learn in the printing press, because that was a different thing. You have to be young to know all these. These people are young, so they're in this world. They can do marvelous things mm-hmm. and go for it. That's, yeah. God bless them, you know, keep coming. <laughs> that sounds very optimistic. No, they have a, there's a big world out there. The needs are great today, yeah. different than when we were younger and doing what we did. And we're not opening hospitals. We're not, you know, changing the world with health. It's different today. Mm-hmm. So you have to be with that. Yeah. Even with the environment, it's changing. Who knows what tomorrow's going to bring? You, no, 
challenging times, yeah. really. Did, did Emma live in your house no. when she was here? No, she was in house three. House three, because mm -hmm. I know she's really involved with um, care, care of creation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kenny, for chatting with us. It was really delightful. Thank you. Yes, I was really looking forward to it.